Peter Thomas Fornatal here. We at In The Money Media are so happy to be partnering with Maggie Wolfendale on this new podcast series. On these shows, Maggie is telling the story of the horses through the voices of the people who love them and whose lives have been changed by them. Best of all, they're being produced to benefit our friends at the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, whose mission of saving lives, both human and equine, is so important to Maggie and so important to us at the network. To make a gift to support this show and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, go to trfinc.org slash offtrack. That's trfinc.org slash offtrack. The next voice you hear will be Maggie Wolfendale. Chestnut Gelding, fold March 12, 2010, in Pennsylvania, by Eavesdropper, out of Winning Grace, by Yarrowbray, 58 starts, 22 wins, 16 seconds, 5 thirds, earnings, $1,905,900. Multiple stakes winner, including the Grade 3 General George and Grade 3 Salvatore Mile. Jockey club name, Paige McKenney. But wait, there's one more. A chestnut gelding, fold March 17, 2013. By Not For Love, out of Lunar's Legend, by Polish Numbers, bred in Maryland. 45 starts, 4 wins. 5 seconds, 4 thirds. Earnings, $156,388. Jockey club name, Legends Hope. This is the story of the two geldings off track as told by Jasna Pravnik. to have my first guest of the season and I think it's very fitting that the first episode I ever recorded with was was with Rosie Napravnik and now I have the honor of having her sister Jazz Napravnik here on Jazz thank you so much for your time I know you're quite the busy lady well thank you for having me Maggie and Jazz I think you if people weren't paying attention to the retired racehorse project they were certainly missing out because you were voted the people's choice award as well as champion in eventing and that's what your sister had won back in 2019 and this time around you won it with a legend's hope but before we get into all that and how that's culminated into the career that you've had and made for yourself let's talk about the beginning I know when I spoke to Rosie, your mom, she is a trainer. She gave lessons. She's kind of done it all with eventing and everything. But you're the older sister. And not that I'm trying to make this a Rosie-centric podcast, but um, talk a little bit about growing up and what you did as a kid that really you know, cemented your fate into being involved with horses for the rest of your life. 
Well, I'm pretty sure my fate with horses was cemented in the stars long before I was ever born. Um, but I did gr uh, grew up with horses. Um, I am the eldest child of our family. And I think my mom bought my first pony when she found out she was pregnant with me. So yeah, it was kind of destined. Um, I grew up, you know, having a lead line pony. I did some of the hunter shows. When I was six, I got my first quote fancy pony, a little Welsh pony named Charlie Brown. And I did the Welsh pony hunter circuit with him when I was six, seven, eight. And then I remember when I was eight, my mom let me do an event for the first time. And I mean, I didn't, I came out of the show ring. So I was taught to look pretty, you know, go outside line diagonal, outside line diagonal sort of show courses. And I went out, I did my little dressage test and then I went out on cross country and I had two refusals at the first cross country fence and two at the second and two at the third. And if you're not familiar with eventing, if you have three refusals, you're eliminated. So I was skating by the seat of my pants here. And I probably had, you know, a plethora of time penalties because it's also a timed event. And I think I ended the day on 90 some penalty points, which is huge. Usually you're more in the 30 range. And, um, and I loved it. And I remember asking my mom if I could just event and I didn't want to do any horse shows anymore. <laughs> um, but she said, no, she said, I had to, I had to keep showing because we had year end awards to win. <laughs> um, but I quickly did convince her that I was much happier eventing instead of doing the pony hunters cross country was awesome. Um, so I did, I grew up in pony club. I was part of Somerset Hills pony club for 13 years. And so I focused mostly on eventing and then as a teen got a little bit more into the pony racing when my eventing pony had gotten hurt. And so both Rosie and I both have our, our basic knowledge um, coming from eventing. And for eventing for you, was it that cross country adrenaline rush? Oh, absolutely. And that's definitely part of the reason why I ended up, you know, having a steeplechase career. Um, very short lived as a jockey, mind you, I, I had some sense by the time I started trying to ride as an amateur, and then quickly switched to training, which was much more fun. But I basically got to train cross country horses. Um, so that was awesome. I didn't have to worry about dressage anymore. Show jumping is fun, but cross country was the best. And for you, how long did your your training career last? I mean, that's when I met you and you were very young and, and training on your own. Obviously, you, you've had some flat horses too throughout your career. But how did you kind of fall into that from a family that was predominantly focused on, on show horses and eventing? How did you transition over to thoroughbreds? Because I know you were kind of more or less the introduction for Rosie too into the racetrack industry. Yeah. So, um, we had, we were introduced to pony racing in Far Hills, New Jersey. There's a big steeplechase meetup in Far Hills in October every year. And it's one of the most prestigious events. And back in the eighties and nineties, they had pony racing there. And so it was something that the pony club kids did annually. And then when I was about 13, um, my best friend was Jonathan Griffin and his dad formerly trained racehorses at Monmouth Park. So this was like the first racing person I really knew. And so um, 
his father and my mother researched a little bit more about pony racing, and we found out there there was a ton of pony races in Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, all the way down to Georgia, New York, Virginia. Um, and so we started racing on the pony racing circuit. And although my sister might be under 5'2 and sizable to be a flat jockey, I'm certainly not. I'm over 5'7". <laughs> and, um, and so I had no desire to ride flat races anyways, which is good news, but I did want to ride steeplechase races. So I kind of set a course for myself to become a steeplechase jockey. And so it was really the pony racing that happened at all these steeplechase meets that led me to steeplechase racing. And Rosie was right on my heels and the pony racing at the time was all flat racing. And she actually had no desire to jump race at all. She wanted to go to the track. So it was just honestly um, a course of events that just seemed to fall together perfectly that led us both to our individual careers. How long did you train horses for? Let me think. Um, ironically, the first two horses, I the first horse I trained over jumps was the horse that I was training for my sister as a junior horse. And I found this horse in a field that um, belonged to some friends of mine that had pony racing. Um, I, you could recall back in the 90s, uh, jockey Allison Hershabell. Mm-hmm. And um, her parents were the stewards at some of the steeplechase races. And she rode uh, pony races as a kid. And so I had met her parents through the pony racing. And when I moved to Pennsylvania in 2000, her mom asked me to come and ride this young horse that they had. Allison had brought him up from Florida, I think, as a two-year-old, and he was six at the time, and he hadn't done much. And um, he was, we'll call him expressive. <laughs> and so being young and, um, and you know, loving a challenge, I happily helped um, Charlie Hershabell ride this young horse out for her. And then it happened that um, somehow... I asked if my sister could have this job. It wasn't going to be a middle-aged woman's fox hunter, and it was safe. He probably wasn't fast. Um, I don't think he ever ran. I think he had a small little suspensory injury as a two-year-old or something, but clearly that was healed up. Anyways, um, they agreed to lease him to my sister as a junior horse, and I never thought he'd win a race because he seemed like, meh, whatever, but actually he won quite a few races for her. And I think it was at the very end of her last year as a junior rider that they canceled a couple of the junior races. So I had spent all summer getting this horse fit in Maryland for her to ride to only have one race. And I was working for Jack Fisher at the time. And he's like, run him over hurdles. <laughs> and I'm like, but but he's never schooled a hurdle. And he looks at me and goes, he can fox hunt, can he? He can jump, right? I'm like, well, yeah. And so I asked the Hershabelle's permission to run him over hurdles and I schooled him with Jack's horses maybe three, four times, um, and he took to it really well. And then Jack was kind enough to ship him all the way down to Charleston, South Carolina for the last or the second to last meet of the year. And I'll never forget, it was pouring rain the night before. And we get to the course in the morning. I mean, I've never seen rain like this. And there's like three inches of standing water all across the course. Oh, my God. And I'm like, Jack, I think we should scratch. And he's like, no. I'm like, okay. Are you sure? I think we should scratch. No. I'm like, okay. And um, Daniel Hodson at the time 
was still an apprentice rider. She went on to be champion jockey, I believe, over jumps. And she was riding them for me. My sister was there with us. And I didn't have a trainer's license. And at the end of the year, and honestly, I was probably just being cheap. So I asked if I could run them under a friend's name. She, she's like, yeah, sure, no problem. And so I'm like, he's not going to win anyways. You know, this is just for fun. And so he was a great horse because you kind of just said, okay, I want you to go this speed. And he just stayed at speed until you told him to go faster or slower. Like, real easy ride. But I remember telling Danielle, I said, look, you're gonna, you're probably going to have to kick him when the flag drops. Because, you know, if you don't tell him to go, he won't go. <laughs> and so she galloped around. It's a small course. So you go around it quite a few times. And you can't really see the backside. And so she passes the wire the first time. And she's, like, in the back of the pack. And she passes the wire the second time. And she's in the back of the pack. And everything's going great. And then they go around the backside. And all of a sudden, Rosie and I hear that they've announced him in second. And we, we were like, no way. That's a mistake. Well, sure enough, he comes around. We can see him coming to the last fence. And there he is, head in head with one of Ricky Hendricks's horses. And they're all exhausted. I mean, this is water, deep mud. You know, these horses are exhausted. And um, Ricky's horse, I mean, he jumped the fence and he just, he barely kept going. And my horse kept going just a little bit more than that. And Rosie and I, we were standing there in the stands. I think both of us literally had our jaws dropped, mouth wide open, as we're watching our little horse cross the finish line in front. And um, it was just one of those amazing moments. So, yeah, wow. the first steeplechaser I train, I win, um, but it's not in my name. <laughs> um, but fun, you know, exciting anyways. And then you fast forward a couple years later, and I had bred my personal junior horse, Farrah's Moment. And I remember her. Yeah, I was 19 and um, uh, scouring the stud books. And, you know, I'm a broke 19-year-old, essentially, that gallops for a living. There's no extra cash. And there's a horse by Salutely named Boyd on Good. He was actually Stuart Pittman, who started the Retired Racehorse Project. It was his eventing horse. He was the only thoroughbred stallion going advanced in the country at the time. Um, he's probably one of few thoroughbred stallions that ever went advanced eventing. And he was by Salutely, who also sired Saluter, who won the Virginia Gold Cup like six or seven times and the International Gold Cup over Timber six or seven times for Jack Fisher. So you can see all these little connections. And because he was more of an eventing sire, he stood for $1,200. So I saved my pennies and bred my junior horse, who I think won eight races at Charlestown in the early 90s and made like $15,000 <laughs> to this eventing horse. And I got a really nice chestnut mare out of her, and I named her Ferrity Salute. And I started Farrah's career um, in a couple of the junior horse races, actually. Um, my trombetta's assistant was a teenager at the time, Melanie Williams, and she rode her for me in the junior horse race. I think she was like second. I think she had like two seconds on her. You mean like an amateur race, right? The yeah, ones that they had at Laurel are, and Pimlico? Yeah, no, 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 no. Not an oh. amateur race. These are junior horse races. These are for the kids to ride at the hunt meets. Ah, okay. Um, a lot of, tra some some kids have their own horses. Other trainers will have, you know, 
um, juniors working for them, 16, 17 year old, 18 year olds, and they'll put one of their horses in these races for a prep. So this is a Ferrati Salute's first couple races. I think we ran her twice. Melanie rode her for me. And, um, and then we took her to Colonial Downs. And now I've progressed a little bit in my career, but I don't have workman's comp at this time because it's just me and like two horses. So um, I'm going to, I asked my trainer to let me run her in her name. And she agreed. And well, I suppose all this is really old and doesn't matter anymore. But, um, <laughs> and so um, we take her down to Colonial Downs and my sister um, rides her for me. And lo and behold, the filly wins first time out in her first official start. And again, it's not in my name. Oh, no. This is on the flat, right? This is on the flat at Colonial Downs, yeah. uh, Ferrati Salute wins first time out for Holly Robinson Uh, under Rosina (laughs) Pravnik. So there's there's the start to my career. Um, Eventually, I did get my workman's comp, and I did, you know, get my licenses and all that sort of stuff and become a professional trainer. Um, And they, they... did win under my name, but, um, yeah, so there's a start to my career. Oh, wow. I mean, it's just such an ama- amazing stories and just almost fairy tale like you know, <laughs> starts to being introduced to racing. Um, it, it's just, I love hearing those. I kind of got, get chills when people have that kind of success early on, but you, I, you are a natural horsewoman. And so it seemed as though a natural progression into obviously having these, these racehorses and training and having success that you've now stepped into the role that you currently have with retraining. And so pulling on all of your knowledge and your skill set, what do you think has been the, the most, you know, useful thing to have with, with retraining these horses? Um, honestly, I think the most useful thing that I have training all of the horses I've trained in whatever capacity capacity is my intuition. Yeah. I, I love a challenge. Um, I think all horses are great at something. Like I believe all people are, have a great purpose at something. And I've just fallen in love with the thoroughbreds. They're athletic. They're smart. They're talented. They've got great work ethic, most of them. And the thoroughbreds, you know, I got my first thoroughbred off the track, Farrah's moment, when I was 13. And she was the catalyst to my teenage dreams, you know, to ride jump races. And and then eventually, then her daughter, you know, basically got my career as a trainer off the ground. And so these thoroughbreds have given me the opportunity to live all of my dreams. And I think it's only fair that I give back to them as well. And so throughout my career as a racehorse trainer, I've done a lot of cross training. I've always trained off the farm. Um, My horses always got turned out. They always went out cross country. They always learned to jump because who doesn't like jumping? It's fun. Um, And in the winter time when I was legging them up, you know, because they usually got a break every winter, um, they would do what I call racehorse dressage, basic flat work, you know, straight lines, bending in the direction you're going, um, 
being able to move off of your leg, those sort of things, just really basic skills. And I always felt that no matter where this horse ended up, whether it got claimed for me or sold or, you know, whatever, it would have a better chance outside of racing. It would have a better opportunity to have a good life for the rest of its life. And so I've always incorporated some cross training with my racehorses. And when my racehorses did retire and they were still in my care, I would always do my due diligence to make sure they found really good homes off the track, um, doing a sport which I thought they would excel at. And so it's, it's me now pursuing new dreams and also being able to give back to the thoroughbreds that gave so much to me. I think it's so important you saying that and just giving them that foundation because not only does it help them on the racetrack to become mm-hmm. to be more balanced, so therefore you know preventing possible injury and just being easier on themselves to have a more long lasting career, whether it's on the racetrack and then thereafter. And I kind of like the fact that you say that because I want to get to the horse that one of the horses we'll be focusing on and a very well-known horse, the Pennsylvania bred Paige McKenney, whom you started with in his career. You are uh, the person who gave him that foundation. Yeah. Um, so Paige, I think was the third crop of horses that I started for um, Jim Bryant and Linda Davis of Jalen Stables. And he was just a really cool dude, lots of personality, very athletic. Um, and I love breaking babies. I, I love, you know, teaching them the new things and watching them blossom and grow. And then Paige went on to have a very um, successful career with Mary Epler. And um, I, he was winding, I, could, I he was eight years old. And I knew just given his age, he was probably winding down his career. Um, and I gave Jim Bryant a call and I said, I would love to take Paige McKenney to the thoroughbred makeover when he retires. Um, I think he's he has a great following. I think he'd be a great ambassador. And, you know, because I knew him as a baby, it would it would just be fun to come full circle again. And and Jim's reply was, Well, he's not retired yet, but you're at the top of the list. And so I got a phone call a couple months later, and Jim said that they were gonna retire Paige and that they would be happy to let me take him to the makeover. Um, and so he he was eligible for 2020. And so he came to me um, February of 2020 um, with no tail because he'd been turned out with the wheel- wheelings for a year. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, was, uh. I, think I prayed to all kinds of gods to grow that tail out. <laughs> Well, they do sell extensions for for their well, tails. They do, they do. But I don't even know if I had enough tail to put an extension in. <laughs> I bet you couldn't bring yourself to do that to him, though, too. <laughs> and so um, we basically focused on eventing. There, there was talk about barrel racing, um, but I knew he'd had a couple minor injuries in his career, so I didn't know if that was going to be the best for his soundness and well-being. Um, and I really quick, had you done barrel racing? Is that a discipline? Yeah, I was gonna say that'd be very yeah. neat for both of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I do have a, a friend um, here in Racerstown that does barrel racing who has, I, I briefly mentioned reaching out to her and we, we scrapped that idea. <laughs> Although I do want to do something at the makeover one year to do something that is totally out of my wheelhouse. 
like barrel racing or polo or ranch work or something crazy like that. So that is in the works. I just have to have the right horse come across um, my path. Um, however, so 2020, um, I figured Paige has got some stride on him. My dressage instructor loved him. And so we decided to focus on eventing. And he's a pretty good jumper, but he kind of treated dressage like a speed event, which it's not. Um, and then that, and then of course the makeover was canceled or postponed in 2020 due to COVID. Um, so we had some more time to figure out what Paige wanted to do and let his tail grow. And I took him fox hunting in early 2021, I think like February, March, and he loved it. He absolutely loved it. Um, he loved watching the hounds work. He was very gentlemanly-like in the field. Um, he quickly figured out when they go, he goes. When they stop, he stops. Um, he had no desire to, you know, pull to the lead. Like I said, he was very polite. Um, and he was clever and crafty with jumping. You know, cross-country and eventing, you have a nice laid-out course. Fox hunting, not so much. I remember crossing a stream, jumping up a three-foot bank, having like three-quarters of a stride to like a three-foot telephone pole. And he's like, don't worry, I got this. I'm like, this is the kind of hunter I want to be sitting on. <laughs> yeah. um, so we did decide to take him for fox hunting. And it was kind of a last minute decision. Um, I think I decided, you know, sometime in July, just before I had to make my final entries. And um, and, and Paige, Paige, he's still the um, big personality he always was when I broke him. And um Every once in a while, we call it a dolphin. It's not really a buck, and it's definitely not a rear, and it's not a lunge. It's a dolphin. He kind of, like, jumps up and throws out his hind legs for fun, um, but not what the, you know, not a ladies' hunter behavior. And so Jim asked me how I thought he'd do in the makeover, and I said, well, I don't know that he's going to make the top five because he could be pretty expressive. I said, but I, th I think we'll make the top ten. Um, so first day of competition is of our preliminary rounds. We do, um, a flat piece and then we do an individual jumping test. And so the flat piece is basically going around in a circle in an open field, walk, trot, canter, halt, back up. And let me tell you, I could have put my grandma on page and my grandmother does not ride. He was so well behaved on that long reign. I mean, he was the epitome of a ladies hunter. and. Then we did our individual test, and there were some pretty big jumps there, and he had lost his confidence a little bit in the summer jumping. So I knew that I could go around any fence I wanted and just score a zero. And, of course, um, Paige's best interest is at the top of um, my, basically, my worries. So I'm not going to face him with anything I think will intimidate him or scare him or otherwise get him hurt. Um, I'm happy to take a low score for the best interest of the horse. And he went out onto that cross country course with so much confidence that we did. We jumped all the fences. He jumped them all brilliantly. He opened and closed the gate brilliantly. We had a couple other tests. I know we had to go through this like gully with a stream that doesn't usually have water in it because it rained the night before. Went right through that. No problem. And after day one of preliminaries, he was actually leading. Cool. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, day two of preliminaries was a mock hunt. And so we all went off in a group. Um, and 
there was a lot of stop and go. I mean, normally fox hunting, you're either like walking around waiting for the hounds to pick up a scent and then you're on a run and you're going and you're tired by the time you stop. Um, and then you're walking around again. And this was a lot more stop and go, stop and go. And I remember he seemed, I could feel him getting a little like, this is not how it's done. I'm annoyed. <laughs> and, but he was holding it together. And in about the last 15 seconds of the whole mock hunt, he just lost himself. He's like, I can't take it anymore. And he starts bucking and rearing. And I'm like, no. oh, no. And um, it, it wasn't bad. I mean, he never means to be mean to you as the rider. But I was like, oh, this definitely is going to, I hope. There's no way no one sees this. This is at the end. Everyone's everyone's watching. <laughs> and so, needless to say, we were pushed down to fourth place, which was exciting because that meant we were still in the finale. And so the day before the finale, there's arena familiarization. So all the finale horses get to go into the covered arena at the horse park and just experience what it's like in there. Because especially for a fox hunter that's used to being out in the countryside, these can be intimidating places and they've got the whole trade fair in there and things echo and music plays and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And he was quite nervous, like really nervous. Um, I think I just went in and trotted for like 20 minutes to get him to settle down. And so I really didn't know what to expect the next day for the finale. And so um, we were... I think we are first or second to go in the finale. And um, he was my third finale of the day. So I'd already kind of been around in there. And um, I, I wouldn't watch anyone else's finale rounds. It would just, it was psychologically, I didn't, I just didn't want to know. I'm just going to ride my horse, do my best for my horse. I'm not going to try to compete with anyone per se. I'm just going to give our best effort. And so Paige goes in there and he walks in there confident and calm. And I'm like, this is good. Yeah. And we pick up our canner and he puts out the most brilliant course. I mean, this is back to day one preliminary level. He, I, I couldn't have asked him to be better. Not one thing could I nitpick and say, we could have done that just a little bit better. Not a single thing. And um, we walked out. And I was so proud of him. It didn't matter where we finished. Funny story. We're all, everyone goes around in the finales and you get more points. So you can actually switch place in the finale. And I knew we put in a good round, but I also knew we were quite a few points behind after our mock hunt incident. <laughs> um, and so the lady with the ribbon starts to come out to hand out the ribbons to everyone. They, they kind of start from 10th to first in the, Sixth through tenth place people get to be part of the finale, although like part of the ribbon ceremony, ceremony although they're not part of the actual finale um, event part. Mm -hmm. So their positions are set, um, their placings are set, and so I hear my name called and I look over and it's the woman that hands out the ribbons and she has a cooler and a first place ribbon in her hands, like two of her hands, and they're kind of, she's kind of holding them out and she's walking towards me. And my eyes get big and my mom's standing there and we're like, no, no way. She's like, what? I'm like, do we win? She goes, oh, no, no, no. Oh. Asking some other random question. I'm like, oh. And it was like that moment of like, no way. That's what a freak out. I'm like, that was mean. But we ended up finishing third. So we did step up in place. Um, 
And I, I just, it was just so exciting to take a horse that I knew as a little baby and to, you know, go through that whole experience. And his tail grew out to look good. <laughs> I, I banged it for the very first time just below his hocks, which is basically like fox hunter style. The day, the morning of the preliminary. That was the first time I touched it in two years. I was going to say, I saw photos, but it did look pretty good. It didn't look, you know, shameful in any way. It so looked real sure. good. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. What an oh, yeah. amazing story with him. Now, what is he up to? What, we're a month or so removed from the uh, from the makeover. What are his plans? Well, he's still with me. Yeah. Um Jim and Linda have been gracious enough to let me continue fox hunting him. Actually, we just fought one, uh, on Saturday and had a huge day. He really stepped up. Um, he jumped a whole bunch of posts and rails. We had some big country out there. Um, and and he, he was probably like he's he, he's turned a new corner to even a better fox hunter. And we have plans to take him out. Hunt. I have plans to take him out hunting on Thanksgiving Day, which is a big blessing of the hounds event for the whole public to come and watch and um, it, it's just a nice tradition we have up here in Maryland. Oh, that's so cool. And which, uh, who do you hunt with? Which kennel? I hunt with Elkridge Harford hounds. Very nice. So let's talk about the big winner. The big winner. The big winner of the Retired Resource Project, and that's Legends Hope. But first, let's start at the beginning of his story. A Maryland bred, I mean, he was almost verging on being an iron horse, 45 starts, um, a little over 150,000 in earnings. And predominantly in the la latter half of his career, he was trained by Ted Mayer and just a cool guy. I love, I, you know, I loved Ted when I was in Maryland, but how did you, how did he come to you? Um, well, Ted knew I was reschooling some horses and asked me to help him find um, who we affectionately call Chester, um, a new home. And so I went and picked him up at Fairhill. I, I actually got on him at Fairhill, rode him around a little bit. And I'm like, wow, this is, he, Ted's like, yeah, I've jumped him. And Ted doesn't really jump. So it was green on green, jumping a lot. And I'm like, okay. So I popped him over a log. I'm like, wow, this horse is pretty naturally talented. I'm like, yeah, I can help you out. Loaded him up, took him back to my farm. Um, hacked him out and I remember I, I went to ride him at Ted's like just after his last race and I guess he was quite a handful to gallop so Ted gave him a little ace and uh, which was I was grateful for you know climbing on a new horse I don't know out in the middle of 10,000 acres of Fairhill um <laughs> but you know, you know I mean I, I, don't, I don't need to get hurt I'm, I've, I've grown up from you know trying to prove myself um and so I, I get on him and um without any help this time and kind of see what I've got and he really loved going out cross country and I knew Ted had done a lot of Fair Hill so it wasn't totally new to him and I started just jumping him over some we had a lot of jumps in the woods like little logs to like little mini coops and every jump he got better and better and better and it was it was to the point where he was going so well I had to stop myself from jumping like the full size hunt fences and posting rails because I'm like, Jazz, this horse just learned to jump today. Stop. Like, like you're going good. Don't, don't ruin it now. <laughs> um, so he was phenomenal. And then um, one night we got some video of him. We, we built a jump shoot and got some video of him um, going through a jump shoot. And I think a little bit video of me riding him on the flat. 
and I posted them on Facebook. And of course, we can't sell horses on Facebook. So I try to get creative with my ads. And I said something like, who's going to sponsor me to win the eventing 2020 um, with this great horse who's big and brave and brawn and beauty and bold. And I used all these B adjectives. I have no idea why, but it worked. Um, and I was like, he's, he's um, got a professional's talent and amateur's brain and he could go in any direction and he'll never say no to a jump. And well, I suppose you can keep him for yourself too, if you want. And I kind of like ended the ad there. And so within an hour, um, Jack Fisher's sister-in-law, Barbie Hornifer called me and said, I'd like to come look at him. I'm looking for a fox hunter. I said, great. She's like, I'll be there at nine o'clock tomorrow morning. Excellent. And so in the next couple hours, a few other people had called me and I said, yeah, I've got someone, you know, and I kind of made some, you know, trial dates for people to come try him throughout the week. Barbie came and looked at him nine o'clock the next morning. I think I posted him online at like 7 p.m. She loved him. She loved his expressiveness. She, she didn't mind that he bucks a little bit. <laughs> um, and he's a feel-good horse. So she's like, definitely, she set up the vetting and then asked me to take him to one of the fox hunting meets because she wanted him as a fox hunter just to make sure he didn't lose his marbles with the hounds, which is fair enough. And he walked out there like he'd done it his whole life and so sold. And then icing on the cake, she goes, well, can you keep him and put like the first 60 days of training into him? Cause he was literally just off the track. And I said, absolutely. And she's like, and if you want to take him to the makeover this fall, that's fine. I'm like, no, really? I'm like, my dream just came true. Like I posted that to be clever. Not like I thought was really going to happen. And so our, she wanted him as a fox hunter. So her initial question would be to take him to the makeover as a fox hunter. Now, now I'm kind of working for a client. And so, of course, again, the makeover gets canceled or postponed. And I, you know, we start to show how nice he was. And in the summer, there's no fox hunting. So I was like, hey, let's, let's do some eventing with him. He's a really great jumper. So she let me event him. And um, we did some show jumping with him. And um, she, she got into taking more lessons, which she'd been mostly a strictly fox hunter. So lessons weren't really in the repertoire there. Um, but she took some lessons with Rachel Lively and he really was blossoming. And so, but dressage, dressage was tricky. So we were still like, we don't know. This horse is really nice. Like we can win if we pick the right discipline for him. And so we have a whole extra year, of course, because of the postponement. And then this the spring of 21, the dressage clicked for him and he really figured it out. And now he's, I mean, he actually has given me um, my first nine in dressage, and he's given me two more since. Wow. Nines are basically very rare. Yeah. Eights are great. Nines right. are rare. So um, he's also given me my only two. Um, that was an interesting day. <laughs> actually, he gave me a nine on one Saturday and a two the following Saturday. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> is there one movement that he excels at whereas, you know, the two is is a problem area? No, the two was more cuz he was making up his own test. Um I think he tried to put a caprioll in the middle of it. Um a pirouette, and when I say pirouette, it was like a buck twist and turn. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> um so 
that was actually at Fair Hill. And because I had three horses going novice first thing in the morning, we decided to stable overnight. Because I had three horses first thing in the morning and one in the afternoon. And I just decided to swing for the stall so no one had to stand on the trailer all day. So I learned that Chester does not live inside overnight before he competes. So that was a great lesson I didn't even intend to learn. Um, And it was instrumental for our success in the makeover. Anyways, um, by the time September rolled around, he has moved up to training level. And we are headed off to the makeover. And thank goodness, I'm very fortunate. My sister lives in Kentucky and has a beautiful farm where both I and the horses were welcome to stay. And although she's 45 minutes from the horse park and we had stalls there for the entire week of the makeover, my horses came home every night and got turned out. Their butts went out all night long. And um, and so we ended up entering Chester in the eventing and the show jumping. And the show jumping was um, going to be my... Uh, my backup plan if he totally bombed dressage. <laughs> and so Tuesday was the first day of competition at the makeover. And we were one of the first, I want to say we were like the fifth ride to go of the whole competition, essentially, in show jumping. And he put in a really good round. Um, little hot, uh, but that's that's kind of Chester. Um, and we had a couple rails. He jumped a little flat. And that was okay. Um but I thought with a couple rails, we probably weren't going to make the top five. So it was a bit disappointing. And I had to put all my life coaching skills together to keep myself in a good positive mind frame. Um, and there was three days of show jumping. And I didn't want anything to really affect me mentally. So I was like, no one show me results. I don't want to know if I did good. I don't know if I want to know if I did bad. I just don't want to know. I've done it. It's over. It is what it is. I put forth our best effort. And I've got two more horses to compete. <laughs> um, by the end of the preliminaries for show jumping, we were actually sitting in third place, which I couldn't believe. He, he really is a talented horse. And then Thursday, we had our eventing discipline, and we did all three phases in one day. And he warmed up. His dressage was really good warming up. And then we walked into the big Rolex arena, and he got a little tense and that's okay. I mean, it's a little tense in there. Um, you know, there's a lot, it, there's a lot of, I don't even know the word. You're in the Rolex arena. Let's put it that way. It's intimidating. It's like, exactly. it's a coliseum basically. Yeah, it, it is intimidating. Yeah. And so we go in there and we put in a pretty good test. It's not our best. It's certainly not our worst. Um, I remember the canner circles and the third quarter of every circle, I could feel the buck coming and I just had to finish the circle. And then I was going to trot on the long side between two letters. So I could trot as soon as I finished. And I mean, I trotted as soon as I finished that circle (laughs) and he held it together and he, he did. He, I was like, I think we're okay. Uh, we should we should probably get a pretty decent score, um, but I wasn't going to look at scores. We it was done. We did our best. Onward and upward to the next phase, and so the next phase was show jumping. And let me just tell you, makeover is amazing, but it is exhausting. 
And my tire, my horses were a little tired too. They've been shipping in and out every day. I've been making them sleep outside. Um, I think Wednesday I caught Chester laying down in his portable stall at the uh, horse park, sleeping, snoring. So like that's a lot to for a horse to lay down in that kind of environment because he's so tired. Yeah, that's it. You're going out again. I want you tired. Yeah, it, it, better tired than too fresh. Exactly. So we go into show jumping, and. He put in the most beautiful round. It was calm. It was confident. It was quiet. It was steady. It was stellar. It was just perfect. And so now, now I'm like, we've got this. We've so got this because my dressage is good enough. My show jumping was excellent. And cross country, I mean, that's, that's his forte right there. That's where he really excels. And because it's a training competition for young horses, you have an option of doing beginner novice, which is 2-7, or novice, which is 2-11. And he'd be competing training, which is 3-3. So these shows were a little on the lower side. And um, the pace for novice, we chose novice, um, is like a strong hand gallop pace. It's slower than a three-minute mile if you're a race tracker. So the whole way around the course, I'm just begging him. I'm like, all right, Chester. Because at the end of your cross country, you get to gallop and you get to show off your gallops. So you get to go faster and bigger. And that's actually a score in itself. I'm like, all right, Chester, we're going to go really quiet. And then I'll let you gallop. But we just have to stay quiet. And I'm talking him through the whole thing. Just stay quiet. Stay quiet. Stay quiet. Stay. And he jumped everything brilliantly. Um, I gave him a chance to you know, get right to the base of some verticals and jump some oxers a little bigger. And the last fence is this ascending oxer. And then you go to, you gallop away from it to show off your gallop. And so he'd been so good. I'm like, all right, Chester, you're going to show these judges what you're really made out of. And so I let him pick up the pace a little bit to the last fence and I let him take off on that big stride. And he, like, he probably ever jumped it by a foot and a half. And he just picks his little knees up. And he's cute. He picks his toes up, and they come up on either side of his nose when he jumps real big. And he's a ham. If he sees the camera, you should really see what he looks like. Um, and so he jumps. He, I mean, he hit this thing big but out of stride and just took off into this huge gallop. And I'm like, we just nailed it, didn't we? We just nailed it. And um, a good friend that I've met through the makeover, um, Brett, she had gone right before me. So I pull up and the two of us are walking back and her horse had done really well. And um, she's, I think she's won eventing before. Um, so her horse is definitely going to be a big competition. And he's already competing prelim at this point. So we're walking back. And so finally, that's my last phase of all my preliminaries are done with all of my horses and all of my divisions. And I look at the scores. And I think we had, I think it took a while. No, it took a little bit to get those last couple scores in. So I had seen my scores. And now I know I'm sitting in first. And we've got some good scores. And I was actually the only one to score over 100 points in cross country, which was really cool. Uh, but there were still like a couple scores that hadn't been scored. So you're not sure if like those people scratch late or they're going to do better than you or they're not going to do better than you. Right. <laughs> There's a little bit of that. Um, and then Friday night, we are, I, or no, Thursday night, I'm home. 
and my phone starts blowing up and it's like these automated text messages. Congratulations, you've made the finale in eventing. Congratulations, you've made the finale in show jumping. Congratulations, you've made the finale in Fox Hunters. Congratulations, Legends Hope is Maryland bred winner because he was the only Maryland bred to win to make the finale. So he was, I mean, we'd already figured that out. Congratulations, Paige McKenney is the Iron Horse winner for 2020. Congratulations, Paige McKenney is. Um, eligible for a PA bread winner. Um, he didn't win the PA bread. I think one of the finale winners was PA bread. Um, but that was <laughs> that was the coolest. Wow! Um, so all these notifications coming in. This is I got this is Thursday night. We haven't even gotten to Saturday yet. Um, and yeah, so Chester's finale now. In a sense, it was like ours to lose. So I just. The finale round was like part show jumping, part cross country course in the um, covered arena. And he was actually really chill for his arena familiarization. And so we walked in. Um, they did it fifth through first, I think, is the way they ran the finale. So I was the last one in eventing to do the finale. And again, I was not watching anyone's rounds. I did not want to know because I want to just be able to go and think about me and my horse and my round. And we walk in, and he's quiet, and he's confident, and he's chill. And again, he goes and puts one of the most brilliant, quiet rounds in. I mean, it was better than our show jumping round. And at the very end of your course, you get to gallop around the perimeter of the arena and show off your gallop to the judges again. And I think you were supposed to go once around, and we went twice around. And <laughs> on purpose. On purpose. Yeah. And... I just knew that we had put in the best possible round and I did, I came out of the arena crying <laughs> and people are like congratulating me and I can't, I can barely respond through the tears. And it, it did at that moment, you almost knew you won, but it didn't even matter. You know, you just knew you did the best. Your horses showed up. They showed up so freaking great. And, um, and yeah. And then, so the mega makeover was 20 and 21 years. And so my sister wins eventing in 19 and I won it in 20. And it was so surreal. I think it took, I remember like later in the day, I was walking back to the barn on my own and I'm like, crap, like I actually won it. Not like I might win it or I'm in the lead or I could win it or I almost won it. Like I, I did win it. And, um, and it was it was pretty special, you know. Uh-huh. It's just an amazing achievement because not only did you have Chester and Paige McKenney, you also had Bernice too. So you showed three horses over the weekend in multiple disciplines. It is it's almost an unfathomable accomplishment, and you should be just so utterly proud of 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 that event. And then too, just the overall body of work that you've done with these horses. Yeah, no, it's it's it was an incredible experience. I can't wait for next year. I'm going to have to find a new horse for next year. So if anyone out there is listening and they're ready to retire a horse and they want me to take it to the makeover there for them, I've got empty stalls. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I think it, they would be honored to have any horse um, it, with you. That's for sure. Um, before I let you go, well, first of all, what's the plan for Chester? Is he with Barbie now or is he so, used to working with him? Let's just put a little more icing on this fairy tale I find myself living. 
please. Um, so Barbie's husband, Peter, who who does ride a little bit. Um, he's a heart surgeon by profession, um, but he is um, he also fox hunts. I think throughout this whole makeover experience, and they have their own farm, he basically just saw Barbie paying someone else to take care of her horse and was like, okay, but how much? And um, And he came to the makeover. And the experience for Peter um, basically sold him. And so they actually didn't even get to stay for the finale because they went to a wedding on Saturday. They had to come home. But he did get to watch Chester complete his eventing. And um, I, we were talking, and we were talking about how special he is. And, and I said, yeah, I keep telling Barbie we need to take him to Wellington to do the Grand Prix in, you know, in Florida in the winter. And he goes, Wellington? How about Paris in 28? And I jaw just dropped. And so, I mean, sure, that's a great thought and all. Um, but that's a long way away. And then um, we did, we did have, we all came back from Kentucky and we got together. And, and Barbie said to me, she said, I will never be able to ride him as well as you do. There's no point in me trying to compete him in eventing. Um, but we would like to see him go on and do great things. Will you keep competing him for us? And Amazing. so, of course, I agreed. So he is currently living at Barbie's. Um, he is fox hunting with her. So he's pulling double duty. Um, so he's, I still school him a couple times a week and keep his dressage up to par, which, of course, we all know helps all phases of everything we do. And she gets to hunt him. And we're looking to come out. Um, in the spring and continue going training and hopefully move up to prelim next year and just see where this wild ride takes us. But I am so grateful to all of my clients, all of my owners, to Barbie and Peter, Peter Hornifer, to Jim Bryan and Linda Davis, um, to Jenny Pitts, who owns Bernice, and to all my dressage instructors, um, the people I've been taking lessons with, Rachel Lively, Sally Cousins. Um, it's just my sister for her, she, no one supports me like my sister does. Um, you know, my other clients that stayed home that were cheering me on from Maryland, I couldn't do it without the clients. I couldn't do it without the horses. And I'm just incredibly grateful. Well, Jazz, I, you earn that support system. And I think it just speaks to your talent and who you are as a person. But I know that you've done a lot of kind of life coaching and, and you also, it seems as though you have the right mindset and know how to, I don't want to say you're a sports psychologist, but you kind of know how to prepare yourself and prepare other people too. But on the flip side of that, horses are great mirrors and they kind of reflect who we are. So for you, what have, you know, not only just Paige and Chester, but what have the, what has a thoroughbred taught you? What's the best life lesson that they've taught you? Oh, wow. Um, to be authentic. I think that's, that's, uh, we can talk about another one real quick. And his name is Jesse O. Um, wasn't a great racehorse. <laughs> um, I got him in 2015. He's actually crazy. Bernice's his older brother. And when I got him, he was the biggest training challenge I've ever had. Sweet as can be. Always meant well. Total people pleaser. 
but just would lose his mind when you sat on him. And I just knew that it was like um, fear and insecurity and he made, he, I emptied out my bag of tricks, my tools that I, you know, collected over my lifetime and still I was out and I didn't know how to get through this horse. And, um, he led me to a great mentor, Bruce Anderson, um, who helped me immensely. And Jesse has taught me more about myself and really that being authentic is the easiest path to happiness, an easy life, a life where things just flow, a life where everything you could possibly want and imagine seems to fall in your lap um, because you stop trying to be something you're not or something you should be and you start becoming aligned with all of the great things that were meant for you. And so that's probably the greatest lesson I've ever learned because horses, they're pretty authentic. They are who they are. And, um, you know, they, they really teach you to, I, I don't think I have words for it, but, um, I think you, you definitely relayed what, uh, what that sentiment is to you and just being authentic because we all know that they are the truest form and they are very true to themselves. And so, um, I think we can all learn that from them. Well, Jazz, thank you so much. Your stories are truly amazing and and what you've accomplished in your life so far. And obviously a massive congratulations on what you did at the Retired Racehorse Project. And furthermore, thank you so much for your time because I know you're a busy lady. (laughs) Well, Maggie, thank you so much for having me on. Um, It's been a joy to share my stories with you and everyone listening. everyone enjoyed the first episode of season two on Off Track and I thought it was just fitting to have Jazz Napravnik as my first guest for this latter half of 2021 not only for what she accomplished in October at the Retired Racehorse Project but too because I had Rosie on as my first guest ever which got me thinking you know I've known these gals for a long time and they are such not only great horsewomen, but they're such great storytellers and they kind of really bring you into the moment and the experience of what they felt in the moment with these horses, whether it be on the track or off the track. And also, I know Paige McKenney had such a big following, kind of the ultimate overachiever on the racetrack and he's even proving that in the show ring or in the hunt field as well. So it was great to hear about these two horses, catch up with Jazz, and as always, thank you for tuning in. And if you want to support horses in their second careers, make sure you do so by supporting the ones who cannot go on to second careers through the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. If you'd like to donate, make sure you check out trfinc.org slash off track.